If you enjoy listening to adventure stories, then you should visit thedihedral.com. You will find stories from other members of the community and read about climbing, life, and the outdoors. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Let's connect and climb on. Climb on. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Dihedral Podcast presents Anything But Climbing. All right. Introducing legends just seems silly, but I want to make sure everyone knows some of the unfathomable accomplishments of today's guest. He has a trail of historic climbs and first ascents all over the globe, including three summits of Everest and the first ascent of Shark's Fin on Maru. He's got film credits in over 35 films, including Maru, Black Ice. He's also the associate producer of the 2021 film Hail Mary. He's been cited or mentioned in just as many books and articles and happens to be the person who discovered the remains of the great George Mallory during his 1999 Everest expedition. He's an active and outspoken advocate and champion of protecting our planet and promoting equity. Of course, we have a million questions for this guy, but that will have to wait for another day. Because today, we have 15 minutes to speak with Conrad Anker about anything but climbing. Conrad, welcome to the show. Greetings. Thanks for uh, having me here. (laughs) <laughs> yes, of course. So our, our producer, Gaia, is going to set the clock at 15 minutes and, and, and we'll get started. Gaia, are you ready? Yes. Conrad, you feeling okay? Here we go. We're off to the races. <laughs> so as an active environmentalist and, and uh, outspoken advocate of our environment, uh, I thought that would be a pro- probably a useful place to talk or begin the, the conversation. And, and I thought we could start by talking about some of the pressing issues that you think we should be bringing awareness to uh, immediately? Well, um, here we are. It's the 19th of January. Tomorrow is a historic day in the United States. So we will um, be seeing change by the time this uh, podcast makes it out to your earbuds. It'll be a different type of world. But the prism through which I look at my actions is how it will impact future generations. So to paraphrase Chief Seattle, um, we, we must behave for seven generations down the line or 200 years. So um, it's not the exact quote that he shared or it's been um, reworked, but it's sort of um, we're borrowing the land today and its resources from future generations. And that's a very salient point given the fact that we're 7.4 billion people on this planet and we're exceeding the capacity to um, of our planet, um, but we're doing so because we're extracting resources, um, whether they're food or fuel, at an unprecedented rate. So where do we land with this challenge of who we are today and what kind of world will we leave future generations? Yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. My my biggest concern and a concern that I think a lot of us have had over the recent years and probably several others before before you and I were even around is the idea that that we can see that we, we are bringing damage. But there's still this I don't know how many people, but enough people that aren't moved by by the idea that the future is going to be ruined by the actions of the present. And I'm I'm wondering if you have any ideas about how we can appeal to people who are just like, I'm not going to be here. Why should I care? Yeah, that's a a challenge. And to think about what other people 
what previous generations have done for you to get to us to this point. So if we see knowledge as this collective and that each human has an opportunity to add to that ball of knowledge and then share it with the next generation in terms of making things better. And we see this in automotive engineering. Vehicles are vastly different than they were 100 years ago. Uh, computer science is vastly different. Um, technology in terms of computers is vastly different. So we see how we can advance with knowledge and by bringing someone to the future, um, doing well for them. But it's um, my question to people that are, that are denying this and sort of living this hedonistic, we're going to burn all the fuel in the 40, 50 years I have left in my life, then in the heck with everyone else is, one, do you realize you're being selfish? And um, is probably that view is coming from a, a view of privilege. And um, we have this, we're fortunate to live in a carbon intensive society using a tremendous amount of resources, you and I and people listening to this podcast, whereas approximately 70% of the planet is um, living on the equivalent of a couple dollars and things like that. And for these people, they want what we have. They want the two-car garage, the, the, the fancy coffee machine, and an education for their children, and free healthcare, all these things that, how do we balance them, and how do we manage them, and how do we set our expectations? And in this sense, um, our spiritual leaders offer, um, offer us guidance and, and um regardless of where one comes from, that the basic premise of the world's religions is to do unto others as you would do unto yourself. And if we can extend that to future generations, then we have, um, we're doing a little bit of good and a little bit of good spread by billions of people. It's a giant amount of good. Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely right. Right, We have this moniker, the golden rule, right? Do, do unto others it shouldn't be limited to do unto others who are in the same generation as you are. I think the idea of spreading that to future generations is, is paramount to, to really the survival of, of life as we know it. Um, and, and hopefully bringing others up to kind of life, life, life as we know it. Um, I, I do still, I do still worry about some of these people. You know, it's, it seems like there's a minority of people who are very active and a majority of people who are, probably at best complacent and at worst just in, in, in voluntarily ignorant. Um, do you think that it's necessary for, for us to, to reach those people in order to, to make change? Or do you think that the people who are actively pursuing change will be enough? If we're actively pursuing change on, on a climate level, we are not enough. We need everyone to be on board with this and um, that will rejoin the Paris Climate Accord um, on the 21st of January is a step in the right direction and that um, within the United States we have this tremendous opportunity. Uh, we have a, a very robust innovative creative university system, a system that re rewards entrepreneurship and design and when I mean, we think of all the good things that have come from this and that as citizens in the United States, we're 4% of the world's population, but we consume approximately 25% of the world's resources. So that imbalance should weigh on our conscience is a 
motivation to get us more involved and to work on not just the simple level, like, oh, I'm going to recycle my plastic and I'm going to not use styrofoam, all this and that, but that we work towards legislative action that will create market externalities that will create a more balanced playing field for renewable energy. Yeah, I think, I personally think you hit the nail on the head. There's two things that you mentioned that I think are really, really important for all of us looking forward. And and that's one that it's almost like there's an inherent self-interest. You know, corporations probably aren't going to go out of their way on their own to cause change. But as, as consumers, we can help motivate them to change with what we're buying and, and who we're electing as, as officials. So I, I think that's really important. The other thing that you, you mentioned that I think is also very important is education. I, I feel like the more people understand something, the more willing they are to 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 care for it. I mean, you and I, and I'll, I'll take myself a, 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 a dollar for this one. When we go to crags and mountains and things like that, we we care for them and we might clean up a little bit about them. I think there's some car enthusiasts, for example, who would just die if, uh, I don't know, 67 Corvette was scratched for the first time. And so if we can get people to care about the planet based on understanding the planet and the way they care about their cars or, or their crags, I, I think that's a step in the right direction as well. Uh, what do you think? Most certainly. And with uh, COVID being what it is now going on uh, a year since it was um noticed and, and measured, we, we have seen a fundamental shift. People are getting outdoors more often. And it's um, that those people, if they can appreciate the outdoors and see the connection between the healthy landscape and how it sustains people, is um, that's a step in the, in the right direction. And that's, that's such a good point. I haven't even thought about that. You, you do see this, this push to, to, to get out hiking and camping and avoiding going indoors like movie theaters and stuff like that. And I think once those things are habituated, if they become habituated, it's absolutely a step in, in the right direction. I'm wondering if you can, can share a couple of, of things that, that people can do now, maybe some organizations or, or, or some, some ideas that people can connect with or things that you might recommend for people who want to learn more and do more? Um, well, we have the internet at our fingertips and on our handheld and um, always be mindful of the source that you get your information. So there's, um, it's not like it was when I was growing up and there was free television stations and, and there was, that was the news. And it was pretty much the same news that came across all three stations. So if you're looking into climate change, you can get everything from climate deniers to um, you know, the very opposite end of that. So um, find groups that are, work within that. So um, climateaction.org, um, protectourwinners350.org. Those are three climate action groups that you can um, be part of and, and, and work towards those things. And the other way that um, on an individual basis is to work with carbon offset. And carbon offsets are not the solution to climate change. They're a voluntary carbon tax. So for the carbon that you and I consume, we equate that, we put it into a trust. That money then goes out towards um, areas that um, whether it's plant rehabilitation or something that's going to help offset carbon. and until on a global scale and in a global economic scale that we put a price on carbon and that we all 170 plus nations agree on that 
price of carbon and what the impact is and how that money is then dispersed. The voluntary carbon offset emission is sort of the first step. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. I'm wondering, you know, we've talked to a lot of climate scientists and a lot of advocates and some are more optimistic than others. With with what you've seen throughout your years just working with this, do you feel optimistic for future generations, not only, you know, maybe the next generation or, or the one, but I don't know, three, four generations from now? Or are you pessimistic about, about the world that they're going to be living in? <laughs> I'm an optimist okay. by nature. So <laughs> it's always like, I'm going to see. But I... Um, in the next 200 years, as we shift from a carbon-based energy reality to a renewable energy reality, that's going to be the crux. And so when I was coming of age in the 70s, there was peak oil, and that was our big fear. Like, there's not going to be no more oil, and we're going to run out. And we realize now with technology and fracking and the ability to dig deep into the Earth's crust, we can find plenty of hydrocarbons. So it's not finding those hydrocarbons, whether it's the tar sands of Alberta, which are particularly noxious and toxic to the environment, or fracking, or natural, which brings out natural gas, that to make that transition to a renewable, we've gone from peak oil to peak carbon. So now our peak carbon is how much is in the atmosphere? How much CO2 do we have in there? And how is that going to affect our, our lifestyle and, and, and what, we, what we see? And that is, will we be able to adapt to a, a planet that is that much warmer in four generations time? It's, it's scary. And I think you're, I think you're right. Right. So it's, I feel like there's a reason for optimism, but at the same time, there's a, there's a level of realism. We're going to have to change the way we live and how much we're going to have to do it and how quickly we're going to have to do it is, is based on how willing we are to, to try, I, I guess. I really like what you said about adapting as far as advancements in science, moving from how we acquire oil. We need to take those. I, I think that we need to take some of those skills that we've come along the way and, and learn how to get off of oils altogether. All to, all so I'm really happy to hear that your optimist, optimis, optimism sort of shining out after all, all these years. Um, I, I guess 15 minutes moves fast and I don't have an, any idea how much time we have left, but I want to talk for a second while we might just have a second about um, what, what you're doing. Like, what are some of the things that you're actively involved in? Um, I'm on the board of directors to protect our winter. So climate advocacy, um, working with uh, the, the outdoor generation to give them permission, responsibility, and voice to talk about climate, which is um, where we need to be. I'm working on that. And then trying to learn as much as I can about where it is. Um, and if I can offer a, a tangent here as we drift over our 15-minute mark, but um, I was listening to NPR yesterday about um, hydrocarbon fracturing in this um, family that was in either Ohio or Pennsylvania. One, I, I don't recall the state, but they had um, a nice idyllic farm with um, cattle and a few horses and then a major um, natural gas generating plant was built adjacent to it. 
And in that reporting, it was interesting that there is no, there's nothing on the books about surface rights mining um, and setting up these large scale hydrocarbon extraction places proximal to property. But at the same time, there's, you cannot have windmills close to houses. And so, you know, they had the audio of this family and there was like trucks rumbling by and it sounded like a, like a, an industrial site, which it really was. And so they're, they're selling their land, they're moving out and, you know, their, their dream wasn't there, but, um, and one can argue the impact of wind versus a, um, electrical generating plant and the impact on people. But this is an example of a market externality that is on, I mean, to find places that are open without houses next to them in the, the Northeast is a bit of a challenge because there's, there's further density. I mean, here in Eastern Montana, yeah, you can get a wind farm going and it's not going to be near any houses, but it's also not near those houses that need that energy. So how we adjust, and how we approach these things is certainly um, the step in the right direction. And the first step is listening to your podcast and being here and being someone that cares about the environment and climate. Guys, as we've reached 15 minutes, I feel like that was the perfect end to the show. Um, I, let me just close by saying this. And if you have anything else you want to add, um, please feel free to chime in. There's no hard and fast rule, but um first, thank you for coming. I think that, that people talking about this and not, not shying away from it or not being embarrassed that they might believe in science is, is really a step in, in, in the right direction. So I hope for people listening, um, you can follow some of the, the, the tips that Conrad shared with us today. And, and Conrad, thanks for keeping the conversation alive. Yeah, most certainly. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Anything else you want to add? Or are you feeling okay? Well, things are good. Um, be good, be kind, be happy, have fun. <laughs> and treat your neighbors well, um, get outdoors, smile, <laughs> be grateful for a glass of water. Even if you have that, if you can see the beauty of a glass of water and what it took to get that glass of water to come out of your tap and how essential water is to our existence, then you can appreciate flowers and humanity and, and with a, that, that taking appreciation for something very simple. And that is um, to put a dollar in the uh, access funds bucket. That's what climbing does because you're going out there by your own volition and doing things with less gear and you're experiencing hardship because you choose to do it. But in the process of that, that humbling moment where you really appreciate the simple things in life is, is sort of that, that takeaway that is so meaningful. That's perfect, Conrad. Thank you so much. 